Welcome to Adaptivist Live, the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast. This week, Trello moves. Jira creeps. Wait a minute, it's not October at all. I'm your host, Ryan Spilkin, <laughs> and I'm joined today by Brenda Burl and Matthew Stubblefield. Brenda, Matthew, I'm sorry if I scared you with that intro. It was I did have very to check. spooky. I did have to check and see what month it was. You know, we're probably dropping the ball considering we're releasing this podcast on Valentine's Day. Didn't even think about that. I don't really know if there's a romantic way I could introduce the two of you. Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Brenda, we should leave right now. Clearly, Ryan does not value us enough. Clearly. (laughs) Let's get to the news. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if um, I don't know if you guys saw this. There was an article out on The Verge yesterday. Uh, IBM has picked Slack over Microsoft Teams. Uh, notable, I think, mostly because of the big number in the headline that they've got 350,000 employees that they'll be putting on there. Well, I mean, if I could post a, a sick GIF to this article, it would be the fry from Futurama. I'm shocked. I'm not really that shocked, <laughs> you know? Right, yeah. Because yeah. I think that Microsoft will will take a nice shiny product and then just polish it until it crumbles. See Skype. <laughs> well, for our viewers at home, uh, you may or may not recall that uh, Atlassian entered into, uh, I don't know if partnership is the right word, an arrangement with Slack a year or two ago. Uh, they had developed HipChat. They were working on Stride, the successor to HipChat, and then decided that was it just wasn't really in their wheelhouse. Uh, so they... Uh, I guess, sold or traded that intellectual property to Slack uh, and kind of entered into this arrangement with Slack. So they didn't acquire Slack, nor were they acquired by Slack, uh, but they, they, have a, Slack, they, they have a relationship. Slack acquired the IP behind HipChat and Stride, yes. all of it. Yeah. And, that's, and they've yeah. been partners ever since. Adaptivist, also Slack partners, one of the first Slack services partners in the world. And speaking of Slack, our very own head of marketing, Laura Hauser, was recently published on Marketing Tech News, providing some valuable tips for marketing teams on how to use Slack. And joining us to talk about that article is Laura Hauser herself. Laura, welcome back to the podcast. Always great to have you. It's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for having me. Laura, what got you thinking about writing your top tips for Slack Mastery? Well, as everyone knows, uh, who's, you know, a modern day knowledge worker, there's so many tools, so many platforms and so many technologies that we use every day to communicate and collaborate um, between departments, between teams and even between each other. Um, And as you guys may have seen, we've actually entered into a partnership with Slack uh, officially back in September. Um, And we started to gain a lot of experience in terms of helping teams not only go through agile transformation uh, using Atlassian tools, um, but how you bring in collaboration platforms like Slack into the picture as well. So you've seen a lot of buzz in the news lately around, you know, are all these uh, platforms actually hurting our ability to get work done? 
Um, and the truth is they can be, they can be a distraction. They can be, um, you know, a center of, of cat gifts rather than, um, the collaboration platform that they were meant to be. Hold on. Is there really a problem with cat gifts? Cause I, there's no problem with cat gifts Just in making moderation. Sure. Making sure. I'm a, I'm a dog gift person myself, but, um, you know, we do not discriminate against any species here. <laughs> So what we've learned is, and I think it really um, feeds in nicely to what we talk about with our customers and clients all the time about how to use, you know, Jira, for example, in an agile uh, way, in a way that works for their team. And Slack is similar. There are definitely best practices and tips and tricks, um, especially, uh, you know, being a marketer, um, talking to the marketers out there, in which you can use um, these tools in order to streamline your process. Um, identify problems quickly uh, and handle them in the right way and integrate them with all of the tools that you use to solve problems. So for example, and this doesn't just relate to marketing teams, you know, if your website goes down, your support team is probably scrambling to figure out what the problem is, respond to customer inquiries, uh, as well as diagnose and fix the problem in real time. Um, and using Slack uh, integrated with your monitoring tools, you're actually able to identify the problems quicker, get everyone in a, um, a war, uh, you know, Slack room or, or channel, if you will, um, and fix them in real time. Um, and so we're seeing, especially on uh, the Jira side, integrating Jira and Slack in the right way uh, for how a lot of development teams, a lot of support teams and customer service teams use it. Um, can really make or break the bank when you're going through um, an outage of epic proportions. And one of the things I think is interesting, it's, it's important to note that you're going to need a communication tool no matter what, right? Like you've got to coordinate with your team. You've, you've got to have kind of that instant responsiveness. If you're five people sitting all in the same room, that's, that's one thing. Um, but for a distributed company or even a larger company, like you know, even if you're in multiple walled offices or, or a couple of buildings or something, you've got to have something. And where Slack, I think, really succeeds is in having nuanced notifications and having the ability to spin up and spin down rooms and having the, the really easy mixture of large team rooms with smaller ones, with private chats, with nuanced at mentions. Like there's, there's a lot of these sort of subtle features in Slack of it's not just another chat tool. Um, and these are our uh, notification and grouping and messaging and information density features that aren't present uh, in, in other communication tools. So you've got to have one. And that means you, you want to have one that's actually going to be helpful because uh, if it's not, people are just going to tune out. They're going to shut it down. It's like me with Skype. I just keep Skype closed most of the time. I don't want to deal with it. It's so annoying. And uh, in Laura's example... If I've got it closed and the website goes down and I don't get that message immediately, that's a problem where I just keep Slack open all the time. Absolutely, Matthew. And I think you really hit on something that these tools used in the right way can actually help you strengthen um, not only uh, communication between people and teams, um, but integrate it into your DevOps strategy. You know, if you have things automated and integrated in the right way, you're able to identify problems uh, fast um, and cut out the noise and really focus on what's important. Um, but there's definitely, I think, a culture aspect to it as well. I think we've all seen, you know, what happens when, you know, people get, uh, we won't mention cat gifts because clearly, you know, this is a safe touchy. space. for It's a touchy place. It's a touchy thing. Yeah. <laughs> 
But you know, how much is, is too much? What is oversharing? Um, we've also seen a few examples in the press where leadership um, end up giving feedback and, and almost um, it's, it becomes a way of hiding from having those one-to-one conversations. Um, and the right etiquette and how to use the right channels, you know, when is it right for a meeting? When is it right for a Slack message? When is it right for an email? Every company is really struggling to put the uh, best practices in place because it's going to be different for each particular team, company, or industry. So it's one of those things where the opportunity and the challenge um, is shared across you know, the same technology platform. I really like how the culture section of your article talks about that. Um, uh, that subject exactly. So we're definitely going to be linking to that here in the SoundCloud description. And uh, we hope everybody can take the mo- take a moment to read it, check it out. Laura, congratulations on getting published in Marketing Tech News. Oh, thank you. You know, um, really, it's a, a testament to all of the great sort of content and work that we're doing across the board. So uh, while it may have my bind line, it's really a combination of all the best practices that we've gathered here together at Adaptivist. Laura Hauser, thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks again, Laura. It's always really great to hear from you. So moving on, uh, some updates from the Atlassian world, and I'm going to focus primarily on server and data center. First up, Jira Software 8.7.x. So some new updates for Jira. One is anonymizing users for GDPR compliance, um, giving admins the power to hide or delete data that can identify real people. You can also fulfill requests where if someone is leaving your company and requests to have their personal data erased, you can fill such a request and stay compliant with GDPR and the right to be forgotten. Adding support for Postgres 11 uh, for Jira server and data center and um, OpenID Connect is coming to Jira for data center. Um, Some resolved issues, um, lots of little cosmetic updates for 8.7.0, and some some good updates for data center in 8.7.1, particularly around bulk operations getting stuck in Jira data center. That one has been a personal bane of my existence. Um, (laughs) So that was one I was happy to see a resolution on. Jira Surface Desk 4.7.x. Um, keeping requests private. Uh, now they're not visible to everyone in the organization. That's good. Um, can now require customers verify their email addresses when enabling public signup. That's a good thing. Um, and then one that almost flows under the radar, but I think was pretty important for this, is setting things right for agents. Um, so Jira Service Desk treats agents as customers for certain things. Um, such as if you're the reporter or the request participant, et cetera. Um, they're now changing that because sometimes because, because JSD treated uh, agents acting as approvers or that belong to the customer's organization as customers, that would affect some of the SLAs and automation. Um, and it, it was confusing for people who truly had the customer role. So they're now going through, if you're an approver or part of the customer's organization, it is now actually going to treat an agent as an agent as it should be. Um, So there's some information about how SLAs and automation rules are impacted. Um, And so check out release notes, uh, which will be included in our SoundCloud description. Um, And all of the same updates um, for Jira that I just mentioned, anonymizing users for GDPR compliance, et cetera, um, appear in the release notes for Service Desk 4.7.x as well. 
I got I got five dollars that says they're also in the Confluence release notes. What do you got? <laughs> what do you got? Well, I've got Confluence release notes. Whoa! So let's let's see if Ryan earned five dollars. Um, from you, our listeners. From you, our listeners. Every one of you. Uh-huh. Stay tuned for how much how many dollars Ryan actually receives. Uh, more control when editing files using Atlassian Companion. It's easy to, easier to check who can view a page and share a page. Um, we all know that permissions and restrictions are, are notoriously a little bit difficult to track down. There's actually an ongoing conversation in the Atlassian community around Confluence training, uh, particularly for, for server and data center. And one of the big things that the people have been feeding back to Atlassian that they need better training for their Confluence users is around permissions and restrictions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is like one of the number one things. The other interesting one uh, that that surprised me, uh, spaces. And as people have been using Confluence for a long time, we don't think about this, but when you start as a new Confluence user these days, you t- get taken through some onboarding steps. And one of the first onboarding steps is go create a space. Nowhere does it tell you what a space is <laughs> or define it or you know, why you would create it or what you would put yeah. in it. It just onboarding, go create a space. Um, so some, some interesting onboarding challenges for uh, Atlassian that they're addressing with Confluence, taking feedback mm-hmm. and seeing uh, that, you know, uh, seeing improvements to things like restrictions and permissions and how to communicate yeah. that through the interface as you're working on it, I think is yeah. good. Which is very good. And, and yeah, I had never thought about it. You know, we, we started working with Confluence 10 years ago and it were, more than that. Gosh, I don't want to even say (laughs) 13 years ago. And it was, this is why we're buying Confluence. It has spaces and you can set permissions. And so we knew what a space was and why they were useful. And I never thought about, yeah, you're right. That's definitely a thing that's an issue. So I'm glad to see Atlassian bringing things in to the UI that make it a little bit easier to, here's who can see it. Um, Now, when you go to share a page, you can get a list of who can actually see it which is super helpful because many times I get the so-and-so has shared a page with you and then I can't see it. Better permissions management for admins on data center can, can find users and groups better, um, allowing you to audit permissions uh, more easily. And this is a nice one, bulk apply permissions changes to other spaces. Uh, so that's a really cool uh, new feature. There's a best practices guide for permissions that is linked to in these uh, release notes, which will, um, of course, link to in the SoundCloud description. Again, with server and data center, um, safeguarding performance for really big spaces. Uh, we've all seen really massive, massive confluent spaces that degrade the performance of the system overall. Um, so lots of stuff in there around performance um, and a list of resolved issues as well. Interestingly, interestingly, no dollars for Ryan. Does that mean I owe everyone $5? I think you do, <laughs> That's how the bet works. That's how it works. <laughs> well, catch me at Summit. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of future planning, let's take a look at Jira Portfolio. The headline on the release notes, relative date timeline options. So the ability to say, show the past month, show the next two months relative to today, which that's all right. That's kind of nice. That's a nice little feature separate from your, your fixed timeline. It's cool that it will change every day you look at it. The window will shift a little bit. Uh, but here's the real exciting bit of this. This uh, relative date timeline option works with the portfolio for Jira Confluence macro. So it means when you uh, sort of set up that, that view 
and embedded on a Confluence page, uh, your view is now going to shift relative to the current date. And that is super neat. That is so. Slick. Yeah. Um, I like part of it. I look at the relative data and I'm like, well, all right, that's kind of, that's kind of all right. But then when I say I can embed it in a macro and have that also update, mm, I love it. I love it. Um, some sorting improvements, uh, some improvements in naming, just a, just a point release to portfolio, but uh, 3.20 definitely recommend. I think that's, uh, that's nice. One of the things that is not addressed is does this require a confluence update at the same time for that macro to work with relative dating? Because the, the article it links to around the macros from October of last year, that was when the macro was introduced, I don't know if the macro will work out of the box with this relative data or if you have to update Confluence as well. On the subject of shiny new things, um, there's a blog that we'll link to that it in turn links to um, some developer information. Um, they, there is now the capacity to run an, it's the issue background script module on the new Jira issue view. Let's you add an invisible panel to the issue view to listen for events, pull for changes, or run code that uses the JavaScript API. Um, so you can do things that are running invisibly when you're on that issue view. Um, so there's information on that linked to in the blog post that we will link to in the SoundCloud description. Uh, if you're Notably, a developer and interested in that sort of thing, please do take a look. Yeah, and notably, this is for Jira Cloud, um, so not server and data center. Uh, and uh, I checked in with our developers at Adaptivist. Uh, they were quite keen on this. Uh, as you may or may not know, uh, Adaptivist makes Script Runner. We have Script Runner for Jira Cloud so that you can create and execute scripts in the background. And uh, yeah, they're, they're quite happy uh, this comes in. We think it could enable some things. We, we haven't made concrete plans to take advantage of it yet. just came out in the last week. But uh, Ryan, you immediately had an idea. Oh yeah, I mean, I think this. I think this is this is like like we oh hey whoever on the Atlassian team uh, put this feature together, thanks. We owe you one. <laughs> Come see us at Summit because now this is going to give us some reach into one of the the areas where Script Runner can really shine, and that is when a change happens. Instead of having to wait now for the change to hit the, the um, not registry, index. Instead of having to wait for the change to hit the index, it's going to be able to pick up through this invisible window and therefore execute the automation based on things that don't have to have. They, basically, it takes the delay out of automation rules running. And I also want to add that it's not a shiny update at all. It's transparent. It's invisible. Huh? Uh, the question will be, you know, how what does that that delay look like in the future? Because I know that's one of the big criticisms of Atlassian Cloud when it comes to interacting with with apps is um, be, because of the shared environment um, that Atlassian Cloud runs on. A lot of that processing that's done by any third party app has to happen on remote servers. So there's that that lag of sending you know, the communication off, getting it back, making a change sometimes can take several minutes for an automation to fire. And, uh, I wonder if this will speed that up at all, or if it'll be part of the same thing. And I think, uh, Atlassian's forge that they're creating in terms of a new, uh, sort of means of creating apps does help address that as well, but that's all to be, to yeah, be seen speculative, but I do think that that's where this is headed. 
And speaking of where things are headed, well, they're all headed to the cloud. And the cloud has some updates. They're a pretty minor uh, set of updates from the last two weeks, but we're seeing some changes to the pl cloud platform in general. Uh, one of the most useful changes I've seen for the platform is this one, where now you're actually kind of able to get some insight into who's actually actively using your platform. Um, and so this is gonna help you with license auditing. This is gonna really see who's on, who's not, and what parts of the tools they're using. This will also come into play with another bit of news that we're going to talk about soon, the Trello thing. I think this mm. this is key to that. We have to be able to see who's using what. So that's coming to the platform this week. Look for that on your Atlassian access panel. In Bitbucket Cloud, I think, I suspect strongly that creating a Jira issue from a pull request comment is something that's been in server and data center, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's coming to cloud now, so you could do that thing. I mean, I say yeah, and then immediately second-guess myself, and I'm going out to my last pull request <laughs> to make sure that I can create that from a comment. Well, I have been wrong two or three times just today, so. Yeah. No, I, I'm looking at it now on our, our server instance, and yeah, you can create a Jira issue from a comment yeah, on so the server. That's coming to cloud now. And right. last... <laughs> we and lastly, some news from Confluence. Um, you're they are including an ancestor filter on the advanced search page, which is kind of nice. You're going to be able to narrow your results of your search down a little bit. The better Confluence search gets, the better Confluence gets. They've also added paginated contributors to Confluence Cloud, so we'll be able to break down contributors to two parts and then uh, load more to get the rest. And uh, that is going to be slightly limited depending on which version of uh, the Atlas kit you are using. Um, so if you know about that stuff, look out for it in the updates to cloud this week. For those unfamiliar with the term ancestor when it comes to Confluence search, uh, it's, it's referring to searching for pages that, again, to use another related term, are descendants of a page, which you might immediately wonder, what is a descendant of a page? Uh, but uh, in, in Confluence, we refer to parent pages and child pages. So a child page is any sub page. So like you have a page and then if you nest a page under it, if it's in, in the tree navigation, it goes, it's tabbed and it's indented a little bit. It is a child page. It's a sub page. That is a, yeah. And so it's parent would be an ancestor of that page. Um, so when you're doing an ancestor filter or search, it's looking at all of the child pages, including grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So for those unfamiliar, that is what ancestor means in this context. What about cousins? It doesn't get cousin pages, um, though that is something that we can kind of do in Jira. I know that was a bit of a joke, but <laughs> I would define cousins <laughs> as, as ones where you set up a link between them. Ooh. And so if you wanted to be able to search for like, show me this page and all the pages it links to, uh, I don't know that that's something you can do in the Confluence query language. CQL, uh, but like we can search for linked issues using Script Runner in Jira. Um, so, so script to JQL. Uh, I honestly don't know if that if uh, if that's a thing that you can do in, in Confluence in any way. I don't think. Uh, Viewers at home, we will follow up on this question yeah. we have posed to ourselves, and we will give you an answer <laughs> in our next episode. Now I have to make a note to do that, Brenda. Oh no! I made you do work. <sighs> And as Ryan alluded to earlier, uh, as a somewhat cloudy update, not cloudy in a negative sense, but just in the fact that it, it does live in the cloud, uh, some changes coming to Trello. 
so <laughs> what's funny is uh, we were notified of this update as customers because we all use Trello. Uh, so I received an email to my personal Gmail address and I received an email to my business Adaptivist address telling me that my Trello account would soon be owned by Adaptivist. And if I didn't want that to happen, then too bad. I should split my... Um, this was a bit jarring, a little concerning to me. Uh, Atlassian published a uh, page during the last couple of weeks after this email went out to partners. So this isn't one we can link to. This is uh, an internal partners page that says uh, Trello, access, everything you need to know now to support your customers. Uh, that says starts off, as some of you may be aware, last week we sent email communications to customers using Trello to inform them of upcoming changes. Hmm. Unfortunately, we neglected to notify our partner community of these changes. Um, and even for the customers, you may be confused. Uh, so if I understand correctly, you would have only received this email if you have a Trello account and also have... Uh, if you have like a personal Trello account or you have an account that's associated with the company. So for instance, in my case, I really only have one Trello account, but I have associated both my personal and work email with it. There it is. Even then, you wouldn't necessarily get this email. You would only get it if your company has created a company Trello account. So like Adaptress has a company Trello account that I set up a few years ago. As a result, adaptress.com is associated with it. And that's, that's why we got this email. Um, so here's what's going to happen for those of you, the subset of the subset who are affected, uh, those of you who are ancestors of Trello account permissions, cousins. um, if <laughs> you're Trello cousins. So the long and short of it is that Trello has had its own authentication for years. Uh, and Atlassian is rolling it into Atlassian ID. That's really the long and short of it. You will still use your same email address, um, but it's, it's, you know, changing how that authentication happens in the background. There's a few different reasons they're doing this. Um, single sign-on uh, and two-step or, or two-factor authentication is part of that. Getting it integrated with the rest of your Atlassian applications, big part of it. There's a, a hypothesis. This is, I wouldn't say wild speculation. You know, we love to wild, wildly speculate love sometimes. We're, we're big fans of the wild speculation. Here, I don't think this is so wild I think uh, I think a Atlassian slash Trello marketplace for power ups is in the not too distant future. Um, this has been one of the big things people have been asking since Atlassian acquired Trello. What like two or three years ago now? Of you got power ups like how do you monetize this? There's there's no storefront, and I suspect integration with the rest of the Atlassian platform partly is for integration with that marketplace. Um, it's not no insider information on that. Just I think a, a less wild speculation than yeah. We're, ju we're just yeah. speculating over here. Yeah, we're just um, we're just chatting. Yeah. So if you do not want, like, if you got this email and you do not want, um, you know, to uh, to have your account be claimed by your company because that's what's happening. Like, my account will become an adaptive account. At the end. Um, then you just got to effectively create a separate account. Uh, have two accounts that are totally distinct from each other. Uh, I think a bunch of us at Adaptus talked about this. We had the immediate sort of like gut reaction of, oh no, this is terrible. And then we actually looked at our Trello boards and we're like, well, I mean, I guess if somebody Adaptus wants to look at my grocery shopping list, uh, it's uh, not that big a deal, really. Yeah. I have a songwriting board. I mean, like, gosh, don't, don't look at that. Realistically, they'll still be private. There's still permissions applied. You know, uh, I assume an administrator could get access if they needed to, but 
Um, if you're really concerned about it, you can create a separate account. Um, I think it's a little bit of a pain. We'll see how it, how it plays out. But all of us who looked at it and we looked at our boards pretty quickly realized it's not going to impact our, our lives all that much. And next, some news from Adaptivist. We're launching a new product, or is it? And to share this news with us is Senior Marketing Manager, Seb Sidbury. Hi, Seb. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for having me. A pleasure to see you, sir. So we're, we're launching this new product, Enhanced Search for Jira Cloud, but this isn't fully a new product, is it? So that's right. Uh, it's it's the first time we're doing Enhanced Search as a, as a fully standalone offering. So uh, Enhanced Search has its roots all the way back to ScriptRunner in the server and data center land. Uh, where uh, it was always uh, a part of ScriptRunner. We were allowing customers to uh, to go beyond what is possible in, in native Jira when it comes to writing queries with JQL. And uh, we found that there was definitely a, an appetite from both administrator types and uh, and non-admin users as well for uh, for writing advanced queries. And, uh, and yeah, going beyond what you can do natively in Jira. And uh, so when we brought uh, ScriptRunner to cloud, we, uh, we also included the enhanced search functionality as, as part of ScriptRunner. But um, a lot of customers told us that uh, whilst they're interested in the, uh, in the enhanced search portion of the, uh, of the suite, uh, uh, their requirements were such that they didn't uh, make use of the rest of, of ScriptRunner. So uh, to cater for these customers who just need a, a search solution, we, we brought a, a standalone version of enhanced search to, uh, uh, to the cloud marketplace. Nice. So what are some of the ways that enhanced search can allow users to dig deeper into their data? Enhanced search, basically, uh, it, it extends the, the native uh, JQL, uh, the native Jira query language, uh, by adding a number of uh, new functions and by adding a number of, uh, of new keywords, uh, which, uh, which users can, uh, can use in their search whilst they're building queries. For example, uh, by using some of our, uh, our enhanced functions, we can actually get to more precise results. So uh, to give you one example, um, we found that as users were, were customizing Jira and creating uh, custom fields where they were storing dates in their issues, uh, some users wanted to then be able to compare those dates within an issue and use that as the, as the basis of their, of their search. So before, uh, before something like enhanced search, which offers a date compare function, uh, users would have to write some alternative search and then manually go through their issues and compare the dates themselves and, and identify which ones were of interest to them. Um, but with something like date compare, uh, which is one of the one of the enhanced search functions, they can write that query, that enhanced query out, and uh, Jira will automatically return uh, the exact uh, the exact issues that they're looking for. So, for example, if you could uh, you could put that into some context in a, in an auditing scenario where. Uh, Perhaps you want to find which issues were uh, had had work started on them before the uh, the work was actually authorized. So in an auditing scenario, and that's one quick enhanced JQL query, and you get straight to to the issues that you're looking for. Likewise, you know, uh, enhanced functions really allow you to save time. So uh, in another example, uh, say that you were uh, say that you were a, a QA analyst and you wanted to find all of the different bugs, uh, all the different issues that uh, were relating to uh, the bug that you're you're working on at the moment. Um, so with with native JQL, you can search for uh, uh, for linked issues, 
uh, but you can't actually get a whole li- a whole chain of linked issues back in one go. But with a function like uh, linked issues recursive, which is uh, which is bundled in uh, into enhanced search, you can just write out one simple JQL query, and uh, and you can get that whole chain of, of linked issues back in one go. So again, saving you the time of having to do that repetitive work of finding all the linked issues manually. So Seb, are our script on our users are already using enhanced search. It's it's part of the package, yeah? That's correct, yes. And for those who want ScriptRunner's powerful enhanced search functionality without ScriptRunner's powerful automation engine, the enhanced search uh, tool is available now on the Atlassian Marketplace, yeah? That is absolutely correct. So uh, we launched early this year in January. So um, uh, the, the pricing is set to half the price of, of ScriptRunner. And uh, yeah, you can go and download it uh, today. Is this going to be made available for the server or data center editions of, of Jira? So we certainly wouldn't rule it out, but uh, that's not something we're currently working on at the moment. So let's, let's see how things go. All right, Seb. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today to talk about Enhanced Search. My pleasure, Ryan. Thank you very much for having me. Well, we've covered a lot of ground. We've seen shiny things. We've seen cloudy things. We've seen clear things. We've seen clear things. We can see clearly now. Uh, We have things to talk about next week. We have things we talked about last week. As always, dear viewers, it has been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us for this week's Adapt to This Live podcast episode. I live in an anemone. The anemone. I'm anemone.